Well, good morning, church. We all okay this morning? Oh, good. <laughs> Everyone's a little quiet. Well, we're continuing our series today called Mind the Gap, and we're talking today about the gap between the lost and the found. I wonder if you've ever been lost. You know, recently I went on a holiday uh, to Croatia, I went to Dubrovnik, which was really nice. And I like when I'm on holiday to go and explore and see all places I've not been before. And so I worked out that I could actually um, drive into Bosnia and Herzegovina, and it wasn't really too far. So I thought, oh, this will be really good. Me and my friend, we thought we'll drive to Mostar. Looks like a fascinating place. And so um, we got the sat-nav, but we realized that in Croatia, you can use uh, Google Maps, but in Bosnia, you couldn't. Um, so what we did was, what I think any normal person does, or maybe not, was that we screenshotted the different parts of the map in order to get from where we were right to Mostar. And so um, the thing was, it gave us two, two journey options. And so randomly, we chose one of them. Of course, the journey that we chose was the one that went right into the mountains, in fact, up the mountains and round and whoever knows where. And it said it was going to take two hours. So I thought, well, it's quite a long drive uh, there and back, but I just would really like to see this place. And so the problem was that I didn't realize that I think the two hours was to the border of Croatia. And it, then it was like another two hours from the border up to Mostar. So a grand total of eight hours driving in one day whilst on holiday. And the other problem was we were trying to follow this sat-nav screenshot, which really isn't the best way to read a map. Um, but we did that, and we were going everywhere. We were going up these um, really small roads that were on the side of a cliff. In fact, at one point, um, some cows just randomly appeared on the road, walking across the road, and we were trying to make our way to the place. And we realized that if we got lost in Bosnia, it could be the end. What would happen? I don't know. It's not the safest of countries. Anyway, we finally found our way to where we needed to go and then realized we had a four-hour journey back, uh, but fortunately took the other road. But I remember being in the middle of Bosnia thinking, I'm not sure where on earth we are or what on earth we would do if we don't find our way out of that. You know, today we're talking about the gap between the lost and the found, between those that know Jesus and those that don't between the Christians and the non-Christians. And I feel a real burden for this subject, as I'm sure if you've heard me speak about before, you'll know. Um, but I hope today you'll be challenged in the way you think about the lost and challenged in the way that you act towards them too. So you can turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3, and we're going to read from the beginning of that chapter. It says, One day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with him into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. 
You know, there's three key people in this story. There's the lame man, who I think represents the lost. And then there's Peter and John, who I think represent the found. And in many ways, their situations or lives are miles apart from each other. The lame man, he's desperate for anything to improve his situation. It tells us he's been lame since birth. So most likely had an extremely difficult life um, for the time he'd been alive. And then we have Peter and John who'd recently spent three years with Jesus and have had their lives radically turned around. And even before Jesus came along, they had relatively good jobs as fishermen. So their lifestyles and situations would have been worlds apart. I think sometimes when we see or speak to those who don't know Jesus, it can appear as if their lives are like that, miles apart from our own. You know, I guess it's like the gap between us as normal people and celebrities. You can look on the TV or look on um, adverts and think, my life is so far removed from what their life is. You know, I don't know if you're aware that the film Aladdin's coming out soon. Woohoo! I'm like super excited because as a kid I loved Aladdin. And um, the cool thing about Aladdin is that I know who Jasmine is, which is really cool because she lives not far from here and she goes to one of the churches that's associated with ours. So I was at a baby shower the other day and I had a chat with Jasmine. Obviously, that's not her name. But in my mind, I was like, oh my goodness, I never thought in my whole life I'd meet Jasmine. So I text my sister. I was like, I'm currently with Jasmine. She doesn't have a magic carpet. And then my sister was like, you need to get an autograph. And I was like, that's weird, because I know her. Anyway, it was a little bit strange. Um, But I realized that sometimes it feels that when you look at people that you're far away from, actually, there's a big gap between them, just like when you look at celebrities. When in reality, when it comes to the lost and the found, there isn't or shouldn't really be that big a gap. You know, I want to challenge us today with three ways in which we can see that there isn't really a gap between the lost and the found. So three things we can learn about the lost from this story. The first one is that everyone has a story. It says in Acts 3 verse 2, Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. You know, the fact is that everyone, including ourselves, has a story. This guy's story was probably full of rejection and pain and desperation. We're told in chapter 422 that he'd been lame for over 40 years. It tells us that he was born lame. All he'd known was his disability. This was his life. He couldn't do much for himself. You know, this week I read up a little bit about the um, opinions of the sick and disabled at this time. And you'll know that the Romans were in power. And as I read up about it, it, in all honesty, it made me really sad. The Romans um, saw people who were disabled as being lower class to them. In fact, it said that some rich people kept hunchbacked slaves as pets. That's how degraded they saw people who were struggling. In the Jewish culture of the time, those with sicknesses from birth were seen as having sinned to cause what was wrong with them. And if they hadn't sinned, it was down to their parents who'd some kind of put some kind of curse through their family line. In John 9, 1, we can see this evidenced when it says, as he, talking of Jesus, was uh, going along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned this man or his parents, that he was born blind. It was this kind of common belief at the time. You know, this belief caused judgment to come between the people. Often we can become judgmental when we look at the the lives of the lost and maybe see their complex lives. We often forget what God's done in our own lives and how we actually still have a story. 
We're maybe just not as stuck in our story as we once were. Now, after my dad went to Jesus, um, we were, I was at my mum's house and we were looking through some of our family memories and we found, came across this box and um, it was like a box of memories that we never, I never knew about. Um, Dad never really spoke about it. And so, you know, began to sort of search through it a little bit. And I found the most fascinating things out about my family as I opened this box. I found the journal my dad's brother had written in on the day before he drowned in Scotland at the age of 19. Found a newspaper article where it outlined how my nan's mum had choked to death in front of her when my nan was 13. I found a journal from the war, which my granddad wrote as a 16-year-old who snuck into the army. He wrote of watching his friends killed in front of him. And then I read psychiatric reports about my granddad, who never seemed to be able to get out of the depression that he found himself in. And I remember sitting there and thinking, is this actually my family? Like, my family's so messed up. I thought, I can't believe that I'm in many ways reading this. And then I began to think about the families I've sat with, particularly in our youth ministry and through schools work, broken, messy families. And I've realized that I'm no different. I've just found the one who's made a difference in my family. But my history is not much different to the people that I see every day, the people that I walk by on the streets. You know, if, you f if you're tempted to feel judgment towards a non-Christian or someone that's living in a different way to you or doesn't agree with you as a Christian, Remember your story, or in my case, remember the story of your family, which probably at some point was very messy, if not for the grace of Jesus. There's not really much of a gap between us and them because we're so much alike in our stories. The second thing about the lost is that most people are searching for something. It says in Acts 3 verse 3, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. You know, the reality is in life that we're always looking or searching for something. We might not all be searching for a relationship with Jesus, but we're probably searching for a way to make our lives better. The lame man in the story was searching for money, but in reality he was probably searching for anything that would make his life slightly better or more comfortable, something to ease the pain of the rejection he felt. It tells us that he was put in this certain spot by the temple every day, it was a prime spot where hundreds of people would have gone by. And maybe hopefully you'd find something that he was looking for. In fact, it was a prime spot because these religious people would have gone by and probably given him money out of guilt or sort of feeling like they had to. I think people are searching. Maybe people like this guy are searching for a way to escape the pain they feel. Maybe they're searching for a better life, a better home, a better car, better holidays, better friends. There's this kind of craving inside of us for something more. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has also set eternity in the human heart. I love this verse because it says there's something in us that longs for the more of God, whether we realize it or not. The reality is that we're all the same. We all feel this kind of dissatisfaction with life, this longing for something more. The difference is that we found our answer in Jesus. Now, this is why the Alpha course is so, so popular. It's a very simple course that explores the questions of what we believe. And this, the Alpha course now runs all over the world to every age group and in every place, and in many prisons as well. People are searching, and this is a way for them to uh, find their answers. In fact, here's a few stats about the Alpha course. Um, it tells us that 24 million people have done the Alpha course. How incredible is that? 
It's in over 100 countries and 100 languages, and Alpha is currently running in more than 900 prisons in 50 countries. Wow. And so I want to encourage you, if you're here today, and you're actually searching, you're saying, I've got some big questions about faith, I've got some big questions about God, and this is around the house, and I found myself in this room full of people who were really quite hopeless, because none of them knew Jesus. In fact, since my dad died, um, she texted expressing how what had happened had made her turn back to God and restore her faith in him. How fantastic is that? And I think that's because there was a relationship that was built. So I encourage you today to build them relationships. Third thing about lost people is that many are close, yet often are very far. It says, one day Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he spent every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now the gate was called Beautiful because it was massive. The history books tell us it was of unusual size and splendor. There's a lot of discussion about where it was. But I know from visiting um, Jerusalem, um, a few years ago, that the gates that are there are humongous. They're absolutely massive. And so this guy was positioned right by the entrance to the temple where people went every day. He was in the same place. He would have got to know the regular people that came to the temple. Remember that the temple signified the very presence of God in the world. Every day he was so close to the representation of God, yet he didn't know him until this day. Now, a couple of months ago, myself and my mum visited St. Paul's Cathedral. It was a kind of cool story because uh, one of our neighbours that lives just down here, she works at St. Paul's, and um, at Christmas when we gave out hampers, she was so overwhelmed with the generosity that we showed that she paid for us to go on this tour. And so we got there, we climbed the 528 steps, it's quite impressive, everyone, um, <laughs> to the very top so we could see uh, the incredible views. But I read this description of St. Paul's today, and it says... Today, St. Paul's Cathedral invites people from across the world to discover the impressive interior, the crypt with na nation's heroes buried in, and a dome that can be climbed all 528 steps. Thousands of people visit that church, but I wonder how many encounter the presence of Jesus. Now, around our nation are thousands of beautiful church buildings. Most people in our country walk by them every day. Hundreds and thousands have weddings and funerals in them. But I wonder if they know the one that's built the church, Jesus Christ. Now, we're very blessed here today to have a wonderful building, beautiful building that we um, worship God in. But I hope you don't get confused by the fact that this isn't really the church. This is just a shell. This is just a building. We carry around the presence of Jesus in us every day. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives among you? You know, the lame man didn't find Jesus by sitting close to the temple. He found Jesus by meeting a Jesus follower. There are many people in our world close to Jesus followers. Just imagine for a moment, just alone in this room, there's probably about 250 people in this room now. Imagine for a moment how many of us speak or come into contact with those that don't know Jesus. I'm sure that it's thousands. We have an opportunity to carry the presence of Jesus to bridge the gap between those that don't know Jesus and those that do. And I want to challenge you today, just like Peter and Don, John did, to bridge that gap. You know, I think there's a few things we can learn from Peter and John as to how they bridge this gap. And I hope as you listen today that you take this on as you move into your week. Just a few things they did. 
Firstly, they looked at him. It says Peter looked straight at him. You know, I'll never forget my dad saying one day, we were walking down the street, and he said, Hannah, always look at people and say hello, because no one else does. And I remember particularly, we'd walked past this Muslim lady, and he said, no one in our town ever speaks to people that are Muslim if they're not. He said, always say hello. And I remember that sort of really stuck with me. It can be easy to pass through our weeks without really looking at people. I don't mean weirdly, like, but um, actually seeing the brokenness around us. You know, I think in the society we find ourselves in today, it's so easy to become desensitized to the reality of what things are. When you look at the news and it's the same thing over and over again, another stabbing, another murder, um, another domestic violence case, we just kind of scroll through it or pretend in some way that it's not happening. But I think, just like in this story, we actually have to look at it. We have to see the brokenness. We have to feel something for those that need Jesus. Second thing was that they spoke to him. It says in three, uh, verse 3, then Peter said. Peter didn't just look at the lost person, but he spoke to him. This is the next step to speak, to say something, to communicate. Now, a few weeks ago, I went to the um, Barkin and Dagnum registry office. I had to collect something for a wedding. And uh, when I got in there, if I'm honest, I found it quite difficult because the last time I was there was when we registered Dad's death. And so they put us into this... Um, this waiting room that's really dark and dingy and I was just like I just don't want to be here I don't want to talk to anyone this is just not okay and then this lady came in and she um, sat next to me and nothing in me wanted to have a conversation but I thought just I don't know whether God just dropped the thought in my head that maybe she's here for the same reason seven months ago I was here and so I just began to speak to her nothing major asked her why she was here if she was okay it doesn't actually take a lot to begin a conversation. Thirdly, they helped a physical need. It says in 3 verse 7, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. You know, I love this thought that they found a physical need to help. There's so many ways we can bridge the gaps to the unsafe by helping a need. I don't think I really need to give you some examples because I think you can maybe think of them yourself. But where you see a need, fulfill it. It shows something of who Jesus is. Number four, they looked for a miracle opportunity. It says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Right in front of Peter and John was a miracle opportunity. You know, a few weeks ago I spoke about this um, before, that we should always be looking for an opportunity for the power of God to be at work. You know, last week, I think they're here today actually, I was speaking in the source to someone and uh, she said to me that she was really praying for her daughter who's in her 30s to come to know God and been praying for some time. And she said last week, her daughter phoned and said, you know what, I just really want to have a different job. I'm not enjoying the job I'm doing. Um, I know you pray, so if you want to pray, you can pray, you know kind of a bit of a funny one like that and so the parents prayed uh, for this job and then the next day uh, the daughter phoned and said today I went into work I was called in by the boss and I was given a job that's three grades above the job that I'm in I thought how fantastic is that I wonder what she thought when she had to admit that the praying worked Um, but I wonder what um, she thought of the miracle that took place can I encourage your church to look for their miraculous opportunities I wonder if someone can find Ope for me That'd be great. Five, number, um, finally, they let Jesus do his thing. It says, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. 
Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Chapter 3, 7 7 to 8. You know, this is important. We can't force people to find Jesus. That's why I don't think a good evangelism tactic is to just shove the gospel down people's throats. We could do that, and we see lots of people doing that, but I don't think it's the best way. We have to let God do the work in people's lives. We do what we can do. We be a light. We create conversation. We love, and then we let Jesus do what only he can do. We pray, we believe, and we wait for the miracle of salvation. Don't think you can force something. You've got to let God do what only he can do. I wonder if you can put up the next slide. After World War II, Germany became a divided nation. After a painful war, many people in the East fled to the West to try to gain a better life. In Berlin alone, 3.6 million people fled to the West. In an attempt to stop this happening, on on the 13th of August, 1961, overnight, the Soviet-led East built the Berlin Wall, separating the east of Berlin to the west, and in many ways trapping people in the east. The east wanted to keep the people in and keep them separate to the west. Over one night, families were separated, many of which would not be reunited for another 28 years. Individual freedoms were restricted in the east, and people lived in a sense of hopelessness, never knowing whether they could ever be free again. People became so desperate And it's estimated that over 5,000 people escaped over to the West, most of them to risk their lives. Some were not so fortunate in their attempts and lost their lives while trying to reach freedom. It wasn't until 28 years later that the wall came down and people were reunited with loved ones that they thought they may never see again. Hope was restored as people rushed across the wall. Now you can see in these photos uh, to the left, there's a little child and many families were separated and... um, This child, who was probably, let's say, three or four, wouldn't have seen maybe a parent for 28 years. Um, In this picture here, you can see a girl looking out the window. This is over to the west. In fact, the um, army got so frustrated with people trying to escape through windows that they blocked them all up. So there was not even a chance to look over and possibly get a glimpse of your loved ones. You know, sometimes I think we're guilty of building walls like the Berlin Wall as Christians. We create the gap maybe through our mindsets, maybe through judgment or fear, maybe through wanting to keep what we have for ourselves, maybe through a lack of courage or even laziness. We often forget that we are where we are because someone also shared Jesus with us. There's a world out there that's desperate. There's a wall that needs jumping over or crashing down in order for us to reach a world in need of Jesus. Now, when we come to June and July in our preaching series, we're doing a series called Big Questions. And we realize that most people have questions, even if they don't always verbalize them. And I'm sure you've been in work or you've been amongst non-Christians who are asking these big questions of life, like what actually happens after I die? If there's so much suffering, or if there's a God of love, why is there so much suffering in the world? So we're going to try and tackle some of them big questions. And I want to encourage you, that maybe there's a friend that has got them questions that you can invite, but you're the key person or we're the key people out there to be the ones that are talking to people and being a light to the people out there. We do our part and all of us as a congregation do our part. Colossians 4, 2 to 6 in the message says, pray diligently, stay alert with your eyes wide open in gratitude. 
Don't forget to pray for us that God will open doors for telling the mystery of Christ, even while I'm locked up in this jail. Pray that every time I open my mouth, I'll be able to make Christ plain as day to them. Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Don't miss a trick. Make the most of every opportunity. Be gracious in your speech. The goal is to bring out the best in others in a conversation, not put them down, not cut them out. You know, yesterday I went um, with a friend to visit her family and none of them are Christians. And you'll know that all my family are Christians. So I basically adopt non-Christian families because I don't have one. So that's what we did and went to this home. And uh, as we walked into the door, I could feel this kind of heaviness, uh, more so than when I visited before, if I'm honest. And we walked in and I thought, oh, it just feels heavy here. It was quite tense. There was lots going on. So I slipped away to the toilet at one point and sat in the toilet just praying as I was in there, God, give us an opportunity to be a light as we sit into this, as we sit in this place that really isn't very full of you. As a church, we would never be an inward-looking church, but we would always be an outward-looking church. Father, I pray for each one of us individually, Lord God, that you would help us to see need. You'd help us to speak into need. You'd help us to provide help. You'd help us to shine a light of who you are into every situation that we find ourselves in.